Welcome back to Gallon the Go Unplugged. My esteemed guest today is Shandrika Tandon, a Grammy-nominated artist and globally recognized business leader who aims to uplift human happiness through music and education. Shandrika's music has attracted a vast cult following. Her 2018 album, Shavoham the Quest, premiered as a sold-out concert at the Kennedy Center. Shandrika's newest album, Amu's Treasures, is a gift to her grandchildren that expresses intergenerational love and uses songs in multiple languages, Vedic chants, and visual animations to express love, light, and laughter. She has been profiled on television, radio, and print, including CNBC's The Brave One series. Hi, Shandrika. Hi, Kimberly. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for coming on Unplugged. Let's immerse ourselves right into our conversation. I know Unplugged listeners are going to enjoy your empowering journey from a successful business leader to a Grammy-nominated artist. Can you please tell us who or what inspired that significant shift in your life and career? This was a very important moment in my life that made me pivot. I've spent my whole life in the business world. And before I went to the business world, when I was very little, Kimberly, I used to sing all the time. Singing is what I did. I had lots of chores growing up, but I don't remember what chores I did. But I definitely remember what songs I sang doing the chores. So I would always keep singing. And I I learned singing when I was very little. But then I got so much into academics and the business world that I wasn't seriously singing. I wasn't, I would listen to a lot of music wherever in the world I was, but I wasn't singing very much. In 1999, I had an epiphany, really. I said, I had to pause and ask myself, what is success? What really makes me happy? And this was a a question that I was really privileged to be able to ask of myself. The answer led right back into music makes me happy. My happiest moments over the last decades had been about music. So I said, goodness, I'm not doing any music and I want to go back to singing. And I wasn't trying to get anywhere with the music. I wasn't trying to, you know, perform or anything. I just wanted music to nourish my soul. So I started to go back to singing. I started to learn. I wanted to learn from the great masters so that I could get better. And I would spend hours singing. And that's the journey that went back to music again, where I added music as a significant part of my life. But the interesting thing, Kimberly, is that in doing that, in finding my music again, I found myself. So this was a very important journey that I've been on for the last two decades, finding myself, my music, and therefore it's changed all other parts of my life. That's such a beautiful share. The fact that you reconnected with this passion from your childhood, it's so amazing and that you were able to find a way to incorporate it into your adult life. Your music profoundly impacts people. How do you believe, given that, that music can elevate happiness and foster a sense of interconnectedness amongst people? Music for me, was just a very vast language because over the last you know many years even when i wasn't doing sort of indian based music 
I was learning languages through music. I learned French because of French music. You know, even when my French was very elementary, I would be sitting down and writing down very complex lyrics, just listening and then translating them. So I learned my French got a lot better because of French songs. Music has always been a source of breaking boundaries, breaking, not thinking in terms of a particular genre or a particular language or a particular kind of music. To me, it was always the sound sort of permeated every cell of my body. When I produced my own music, my first album, if you like, Kimberly, was just a gift for my father-in-law. My father-in-law was turning 90 years old. And what do you give someone who's 90? Not very many things because he wasn't interested in them. So I decided to take a favorite chant of his and then I composed it and I gave it to him as a gift and it developed a cult following. And a lot of the cult following that it developed were people writing to me to tell me how it changed their lives, you know, started to get hundreds of messages from people. And that journey continued. And this wasn't just Indians. It wasn't people from a particular culture or a particular demographic of any kind. These were just people who've experienced whatever healing meant to them, whatever happiness meant to them. It did something deeper. To me, it wasn't that I didn't set out to make music to have an effect. I set out to make music that I was inspired to do. And I continue to get feedback as recently as yesterday. Somebody wrote to me to say that they are every morning and every day they listen to a particular chant. So that's happening. And I'm simply receiving what's happening. That's incredible. Something that you meant to be a gift to someone who was very dear in your life ended up being a gift to you. Very well put. Has there been a, a share from someone that responded to your music that has really stuck with you amongst all of the things that you've heard from people? There's been so many stories, Kimberly. Tell you, this was a lady called Alice in Hawaii. When I'd released Soul Call, which was the Grammy-nominated album, she wrote to me, and in fact, I've treasured that message, that her sister had a brain tumor. And, and, and when you have a brain tumor, there's certain sounds you can't listen to. And, and she said, my sister, in the last few months of her life, she would signal through her eyes that yours was the only music she wanted to listen to. And then she wrote to me when in my Facebook page, and I have that message saved somewhere, where she said that we just buried her in the oceans in Hawaii with her ashes, and we played your music on the boat. Those details are vivid. I have so many stories like this, and it's not just healing. When I've performed it, I've had 6,000 people stand up and dance in a sort of ecstatic chant. And I think somehow it's maybe the singing, maybe it's the musicianship, the musicians that played on the album with me. Maybe it's the chant itself, because these are very big, profound chants which have bigger meanings. I don't know what it is, but whatever combination of it, it has had some great stories that have been fed back to me as a result of the music. It sounds so powerful and magical in what you're doing and those musicians since that music is so meaningful and you have a particular want of it to sound a certain way are you looking for anything from those musicians that like you know to make sure it aligns with what you anticipate it to sound like and versus what they're interpreting 
This is a really good question, Kimberly, because in the previous albums, I would drive the musicians mad, I guess is the best way to describe it, because it's a little bit like you can hear something and it's there and you sort of are trying very hard to get that idea. Sometimes it's a magical confluence, you know, you kind of know it and they know it and you come together. Sometimes it doesn't quite happen because they're all master musicians. So they interpret it differently and then you kind of want to pull out the best. Nowhere did I feel this more than when we were doing this new album, Amu's Treasures. I had maestros playing on this. An incredible master like Kenny Warner on the piano. I sang a very simple song like Listen to the Falling Rain. And Kenny Warner played nine versions of Listen to the Falling Rain. He just said, I'm going to play nine versions. Or he, he just kept playing till he felt he had done what he wanted to do. And then I spent probably three weeks trying to sort through the nine versions to see what which of those nine versions or which part of those nine versions I felt worked best. This is what happens to me. That's equally joyful because I'm almost in his soul. I'm thinking about how do we take this simple melody, this simple lyrics and try to give it a, a musical garland around it. And, and so I had the privilege of working with amazing people on this album. So I, I saw it more very in an immediate way over the last year and a half. I think that's part of the creative process. And when you get a bunch of creative people together, you know, it's like the sky's the limit. Right, exactly. The journey was as joyous as the end product. And some of the musicians like Bella Fleck, would get so deeply into the music. And then he'd say, well, you know, I'm going to take what I've done and I want to kind of put together what the others have done. And so he would say, well, tell me what you think. How do you think these all work together for the song? So, you know, everybody got involved. If a song is very complex, you can try to come up with complex ideas, but you have a very simple song. It's much harder to create the music that works just right. That is still That still retains the simplicity, the essence of what it is the song is. And so that was an incredibly fun journey. Such an excellent point when you're dealing with something that is meant for children and it has to have a simplicity to it. That's kind of part of the intention of it. You don't want musicians to come in and like blow it up and make it this thing that it's not really meant to be. Exactly. And you make an important point. The philosophy we went into this with, particularly because it was a children's album, we weren't going to dumb down anything. Bella Fleck, the master banjo player. Kenny Warner is one of the greatest jazz pianists in the world. Eugene Friesen is one of the greatest cello players. So you had masters who were bringing the best of their craft and thinking hard about how to present their craft together with me for the children. All of our focus was trying to show them what is beautiful musicianship? That is just so incredible and thoughtful. With those musicians, given the quality of the music musicians that you got to work with and they got to work with in you, did you pick them or were they recommended to you when you said, I need a pianist or a violinist? And they're like, this is your guy or this is your gal. Goodness, you're asking such interesting questions. No, because there was such a wonderful backstory to this. In each case, we started out with this album, and I've got to tell you this. I was singing to my grandchildren every night. 
then sometimes my grandson would want the same song eight times, 10 times. Ashgrove, he'd make me sing it 10 times. Children of the Stars, 12 times. So I'd say to myself, you know what? I should just record this very simply for them and leave it because then I don't have to sing it. Sometimes I can just turn on a little machine and they can play it. And plus I know what, how to do a studio recording. So I took two musicians with me, a guitarist and a drummer. We went to the studio in Mass Mocha, put a very rough two days record 35 songs, all the songs I was singing to them. That was the plan. Now we did it. And the first musician, Jamie Haddad, who was playing the drums, he said to me, Shandrika, this is so beautiful. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had a cello here? Of course, we, you know, Eugene Friesen, you know, and Eugene had worked with me in the past. And then the piano, we needed some beautiful piano because the person who played the piano said, oh, well, Kenny Warner and I had worked in the past. So it was like, should we ask Kenny? And Kenny's like, yes, I want one in. And then Jamie brought in Bella Fleck from the banjo. So people called other people. Jamie, for example, said we were doing Teddy Bear's Picnic, Kimberly, in the studio. And Jamie says, we really need a tuba in here. And it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. So he says, I know the best tuba player, but I've no idea if he's around or what he is doing right now. So in the studio at 10 o'clock in the morning, he calls Marcus Rojas. Marcus Rojas is playing in the Metropolitan Opera that evening. He says, oh, I have a couple of hours right now if you want me to come over to the studio. He walked into the studio, did Teddy Bear's Picnic right then and there, just recorded there, and Marcus left. Similarly, for Santa Lucia, we wanted an accordion. And for Kesarasara, we wanted an accordion. And in the studio, he says, I know just the guy. Let's see if this is amazing accordion player called Michael Ward Bergman. We call Michael. Michael says, I'm leaving for Europe tomorrow, but I just happen to have time today. Let me send you a rough draft. This is how every musician brought in somebody else. Bella brought in his flectones. Bella brought in Howard Levy on the harmonica. Bella Fleck brought in Victor Wooten on the bass. And he brought in a bass player. He brought in a ukulele player. Each musician brought in the others because they said, this is a project you want to be involved in. I love that. That's so amazing. I know. That's really cool because, again, something that started out like as this innocent, simple project was just so felt by everybody that they, you know, it's like, and they told two friends and so on and so on type of thing. And you got so lucky with the availability of those incredible musicians. I hope if your grandchildren are not of the age that they can appreciate this now, what you went through to turn this into such an amazing project that one day they reflect on it and see like the greatness and the value and how cool it is. But, you know, I was as starstruck in these recording sessions as anyone was, Kimberly, because there's so much joy when you see a master interpret a song nine times. And they would say, no, you know what? I think I, I went too complex on this. I'm going to give you a totally different feel right now. Or they might say, I have another idea. So they just played with these simple songs. You know, Eugene Friesen's given me some incredible versions. And I could have picked any one of them on the cello for he did Lemon Tree and uh, Molly Malone. For Molly Malone. I mean, it's Dublin's Fest City. I mean, it's, we're talking about a beautiful children's song when I sang when I was five. The cello and it is is exquisite because of the fact that that was all unplanned the way that it ended up happening what's one of your favorite memories from that experience of recording the album you know it was like watching 10 or 12 amazing concerts unplugged for a whole day with these musicians wow 
So there I was in the studio with any one of these guys, whether it's Kenny Warner, we had had him in the studio for a couple of days. Bella Fleck was in the studio for a day. Eugene Friesen. And they would play these songs. And it was a really with, without boundaries, without the, the music would be going on. And I literally got to be a, a fan of with unadulterated admiration, you know. So that that was the greatest moment of all of this. And of course, it took me months after that to put it all together to decide who went in where and how the thing came together to mix it. That was a whole process. But the journey was one of the most beautiful journeys I've taken. And I love music so much and I admire artistry. And, and this was a wonderful way that this all came together. And I, I just sat in admiration and like a besotted fan for a lot of these recording sessions. Between your talent, your legit passion for music, and your respect of the musicians and all their individual talents and how you could collaborate together, I'm just so happy for you. And I'm grateful that they all decided to work with me. I mean, I, I think that was a gift that they all listened to each other. You know, somebody like Bella didn't even know me. And then he heard a little bit and he says, I'm in because I, I want to do this. You know, everybody wanted to do this. And I think everybody felt giving of themselves and their best selves to a children's album was valuable. And that's how I also felt. That's why we felt at some point it wasn't enough to just do any old production. We wanted the mixing to be at the highest level. We wanted the mastering to be at the highest level. So the production value of the whole album, I was into N number of mixes, you know, to I was in there with every phrase of the music and oh does the cello come now does the banjo come now do I have a piano now should I skip the piano completely is it too cluttered so I spent a long time agonizing over this it very much represents my vision of what I want to present with all these maestros excellence I really respect how thoughtful you were with it all because you brought up uh, an amazing point that you think that just because it's a children's album, maybe like quarters were cut or it just wasn't thought of as as serious or as important. But no, that's not the case whatsoever. I love hearing that everybody involved respected it enough to put out this quality product that is going to be so timeless. And that's probably why it's valued so much because it is so high level. You uh, also allude to something else which I felt very strongly about in the course of making this album. Kimberly, we have 35 songs. Typical albums are seven songs, eight songs. You know, even my earlier albums are eight songs. 35 songs and 21 chants. I have basically about two and a half hours of music in these three discs. It's like an omnibus. I've, and, you know, everybody said to me, why are you trying to put out so much music? Because no one's going to pay attention. See, but I actually have seen from my experience with my little grandchildren, more is more. With children, the neuroplasticity of their brains is so vast that we can give them a French song, we can give them a Vedic chant, we can give them an Indian song, we can give them an English song, we can give them a Greek song, and they will listen, they will understand because their brains can absorb all genres of music, all languages. My little grandchildren, who've never really, they don't speak French, they don't speak Vedic languages, nothing. They will ask every time, for every time they ask for different songs now. And they've listened, they can tell you, if you did a quiz with a three-year-old and a five-year-old, they can tell you every one of the 35 songs. And I'm just saying to you that they aren't unusual. This is what children can do. My thesis in my little sample of three that I've been working with is more is more. 
Let's open their minds. Let's open their hearts. Let's open their musical wisdom and then let them absorb what they will. And that this mine is just a part of what I'm giving them. Of course, their parents and the world is going to give them a lot more. But my hope is that all children have this opportunity. That's incredible, Shandrika. And I love that you went with the giving of more because by limiting what they're exposed to, you're limiting what they can develop a passion for. So that's incredible that you did that. And you were like, I don't care. Let's just go for it all. It's interesting. When I was little, Kimberly, it wasn't that I only listened to children's music. There was music all around me. We had two channels and it didn't matter. We weren't critical about what kind of music we heard. We just put everything in our brain. And then years later, you don't even know where it's stuck in your system because you you find familiar sounds, you find familiar tunes. And I found myself in school when I was in kindergarten, I would listen to chants, you know, which is the Gregorian chants and, you know, hymns. We would do a lot of hymns because I was in a Catholic convent school. But then I later on in Shivoham, I've used so much of the Gregorian chant. I use much of the De Profundis of the Bible. So, you know, each time there's things you don't know when it's going to come back to you. To that point, who or what in music was a great influence on you as a child? My mother is an incredible, incredible, incredible musician. Her musical sensibilities were extraordinary, are still extraordinary. She's 92 years old and she still has a very sweet voice. But she was a frustrated musician and that she never really got to practice her craft. The way she made up for not having been a professional musician is she surrounded the house with music. We had two radio stations and it started at 5 a.m. in the morning. I think the radio stations opened. She couldn't care less who listened or who didn't listen or who objected. She would basically have those radio stations on on high volume, nonstop. There was conversation that happened in our home, happened over the radio. I love that. That She was ahead of her time, a little bit of a spunky rebel there. Sure, you're sure right. So that's exactly what she did. And she would sing as well. My repertoire was just vast without really learning. I learned formal music for a couple of years. And then in school, I mean, there was music everywhere. And the other thing in Britain, there's a little town that I grew up in India. Even as you walk on the streets, you know, these little tea shops and all are playing transistor radios at that time. So If you left your home, you were walking to school through shops that were playing radio stations. Music was everywhere. And then for me, I'm the kind of person, even now, I can't work and listen to music at the same time because the moment I listen to music, I just listen to music. I I cannot multitask with music. So for me, I would randomly walk on the streets to school and my mind was always on the music. So that's my greatest influence. I still remember songs from when I was five, Kimberly. I can tell you every line of what I learned. Some of these songs are those songs, which I sang as my first grade, as my second grade. I sang a lead song, and I've done that song as part of one of the songs now in this album called Now's the Time for Planting Seeds. Everything is drawn from that era of my life. And Amuse Treasures is the latest album of yours. Would you mind singing a song to our unplugged listeners one of your favorite ones off the album or a snippet of it i'll sing you a snippet of a song is a 1776 old english poem called miller of the d there was a jolly miller once lived on the river d he worked and sang from morning to night no love more blight than he and this the fun of the song forever used to be 
I care for nobody, no, not I. If nobody cares for me, I care for nobody, no, not I. If nobody cares for me. That's beautiful. And I really appreciate you sharing your gift with my listeners in this special way. Before I made the album, without Bella Fleck, I was singing it every night. So that's why when I went to the studio, I told the people in the recording studio, I don't need to practice anything because I know these songs. I know every line of every song. I don't forget the words. I don't forget the tune. I know exactly how it goes because I sing these kids every night. They stay with me. Because music was such a big part of your life from a young age, do you see it in any of your grandchildren yet? Like that they might carry this forward with their generation? Yes, the five-year-old is incredibly musical. I mean, he can pretty much, in fact, this whole concept about neuroplasticity hit me in a very big way about the absorption capacity was, you know, he's a boy and, you know, boys don't speak very early. They take their own time speaking. And uh, But he was at 12 months, 18 months, wasn't speaking very complicated sentences or anything. But suddenly, when he was 18 months old, he's in a bicycle singing a very complex uh, Sanskrit chant. He was kind of mumbling the chant. And I stopped and I said to him, Kavi, what are you singing? He still wouldn't tell me. And he just went on. His meter was so perfect. In fact, my daughter would call me when he was about a year and a half old. She'd say, Mom, you're singing such mournful songs to him because I saw Kavi in the bathtub singing, With sorrow, deep sorrow, my bosom is laden. All day I go mourning in search of my love. That's from Ashgrove. In his own unintelligible way, he was talking about, With sorrow, deep sorrow, my bosom is laden. I don't know if he knows what sorrow is or what bosom is, but, you know, and and I see this with the second grandson who is very rhythmic and they both, I think they, it doesn't matter what the skill of the child is. It's just that the joy in their hearts, it truly feels like I'm giving them a musical hug. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. Music is so truly universal. And the fact that, you know, your grandson was singing lyrics that are so deep without knowing the meaning, but the beauty of the song itself and the words like resonated in a different way with him. That's just amazing. I love that. And Kimberly, isn't that been the case with us, with all the music that we've all listened to? You know, we all have experiences with music. We have the feeling that it did the songs, that snippets of the words, snippets of the of a poem, you know. Somebody said to me, because my daughter is also an incredibly musical child, her teacher said to me, you're really lucky because your daughter is so talented. You know, as long as she has music in her life, she wouldn't really be depressed. And I said to myself, you know, when she was a very young child, she said, you know, you're very lucky because she's so into music. And I realized this is true. It gives us this great gift that we all have. It's a natural resource. We can hold on to it. And if we can share it, it's such a privilege. Yeah, that's very true that if you can do something naturally, that's incredible. You, you of course, I'm sure, because you seem to live a very like authentic way of life, did not go into this recent project going, I'm going to make a Grammy-nominated album. How did that come about in terms of were you shocked and what does that mean to you? When I made this album, once we got away from the mass mocha experience and we started to make it a bigger album and I got all these incredible musicians that came together and we saw what we have created, 
it really seems like a great pity not to share it with the world. And now share it, I must. But I want to share with you what happened to me in Prague on the 30th of June. I was in Prague. And, you know, Prague has a very big center called the Kroki Dobra, which is where they house the Ukrainian refugee children. And many of the children have been through a lot of trauma. So they work with the Ukrainian children with fairy tale uh, therapy and a lot of stuff to make them happy. They'd invited me to come and the children wanted to sing some of the songs. So I sent them a few songs from Amos Treasures and they practiced for one month. They just practiced two songs for one month, A Doggy in the Window and Kesarasara. And they sent me, they would send me videos of their practice. But when I went to Prague and I rehearsed with them for two days, and then they all sang to me a song that they had prepared themselves on I'm Ukrainian. And then they sang my two songs. Most of the kids couldn't speak English. But the joy of not just the children, but of the parents. And we had a concert at the palace in Prague with these children and the family. So there's a couple hundred people. The joy of all these children singing these songs, the feeling that they got of somebody just loved them. And the most special moment of it all was at the end of this. But when I turned around to look at the audience, because everyone was singing, every one of the children had made a picture. They'd been spending the whole week making pictures of Amu for me. And they made a beautiful collage of Amu's all of them, each child stood there showing me a picture of Amu. I just wept. And the head of the Kroki Dobra said to me, you have no idea. I'm going to cry now because she said, you have no idea how much we're waiting for a hug. It was the music, which was the vehicle, Kimberly, but it was the love that everybody in the room felt. When we were doing Kesarasara, the whole audience there was mother there were mothers with little children everybody forgot what was their situation at the moment and everybody had had difficult situations and many of the parents said to me the head of the croquet dobra said many of the children learned english through this and they were so sad now they've asked me to come back and work with them again because they just love they want more songs and they all want to sing again and they want other camps that want to work on this so there's something bigger here than the music or any awards and all that. Yes, it would be wonderful to get recognition, but, but that's not what the purpose of all of this is. It's to give a hug to the world. Giving a hug to the world when the world can use a hug, I feel like more than ever is so incredibly beautiful. And again, what a gift. You gave these children a moment in their lives of getting lost in joy because you gave them focus through your music. And they gave it to themselves and they gave it to me. So this wasn't a one-way street. This was a two-way street. So I came back transformed from it. And I came back with a greater renewed sense of purpose about wanting to share this and wanting to get other people involved with me to share this. I bet you that is a memory from them that decades from now that they will reflect on and talk about and that you're going to be part woven into that story of theirs is amazing. That is such a great gift. 
You had mentioned, look at that doggy in the window. And I have to tell you this, when I saw that that was on the new album, a little share with you from my past. When I was little, I was very close with my grandfather and he had sang, look at that doggy in the window and put it on a tape. And after his passing on my birthday, I think it was like my 16th or 18th birthday, my aunt gifted me that she found it. And I was able to play it and it was um, so special to me. So I really resonated with the fact that you have that song on your album. You have just hit on something that's so important to me. The reason I kind of made Amu and the videos, we created a character called Amu. I think, yes, in this particular situation, Kimberly, I'm Amu. But you are Amu. Your grandfather was Amu. Amu means happiness. Amu means purity. Amu means joy. And we have a chance to share this love, to share this through the memories. Some people paint, some people sing, but we all have a chance to share this intergenerationally. And it doesn't have to be just our grandchildren. Could be our nieces, could be our friends' children, could be anyone. So I think, look at this. I mean, years later, you're talking about your grandfather. I have a hundred memories of this from my grandfather. And, and I hope that when I'm my runway short, we're all, you know, we don't know what's going to happen going forward. So I'm hoping just this, that we can share this small gift with many, many, many children, starting with the three that I have now in my life, intensively, my grandchildren. Aww. I had different choices to be called Mimo, Nana, Grandma, all of that. And they already have a grandma. The other grandma's called Grandma. I chose Amu because there are many people in my life I call Amu, you know, who are older people. Amu is not just me. I didn't want my face emblazoned all over the album. I want this to be a universal idea. I'm happy to be singing now, but there's no reason why down the road, Dog in the Window can't be sung by you or by your, someone else. Maybe you share someone else's recordings. This is These are beautiful, timeless songs. I wanted a character that represented the joy, the simplicity, the purity. This can be a universal idea. Amu is not me, Chandrika Tandon. Amu is that essence of purity in all of us, that joy that has the capacity to give and love and share. And that's what I'm about. That's what my message of, of Amu's treasures is. That's very selfless of you to do that because, you know, after all the hard work that you put into this album and those incredible musicians that you got to work with you, you could have easily put yourself on the album. But that's really an honorable, selfless thing that you chose a character instead to represent it and to be timeless. And not just that, but like one that makes you smile and is like in a way that just exudes joy. How did you ensure that your artistic vision for everything remained authentic to the project overall so that it could resonate with a diverse audience? By definition, the repertoire is diverse. By definition, it is because you've got languages, you've got a la Claire Fontaine, the instruments I've used. I've used an Indian flute. I've used a sitar with Eau Claire de la Lune, which is a French song. And I've used a guitar, you know, I've used, I've done Where Have All the Flowers Gone, but I did the French version as well as the English version. There's a French version called Que sont devenues les fleurs. So I did both. The French version I did in a jazz style and the, the English with Romero Lubambo and the guitar and the English version we did with Bobby Keys with a much more traditional Peter, Paul and Mary style. So, you know, I tried to create that diversity in the music itself, even for similar songs, you know, just to express 
a great example. Dog in the Window is really a three-beat a three beat song. It's like a waltz. How much is that doggy in the window? One, two, three. But what we decided to do is we decided to make it a four-beat. So we did a bossa nova beat on Doggy in the Window. That was a lot of fun. And so that we created this. And then Romero Lubamba, the guitarist, has done a bossa nova beat on the Doggy in the Window. So in every case, you know, it was the imagination. We weren't bound in any way because we were trying to give it whatever right meant. So given that, that already broke barriers in, in most of the songs. So the second part of it with remaining true to the vision, each song has a story. So one of the things we spent a lot of time on is pulling out the essence of the song. When you have a song like Molly Malone, right? Molly Malone was a fisherwoman in Ireland. You know, she died of a fever, you know, selling cockles and mussels. You know, so this is a story. It's an old, archaic story. So what was the essence of that story? I pulled out what I called were taglines. I created taglines. So the essence of the tagline is when something bad happens to somebody, a community comes together to help you. Which And similarly, you know, Wish You Could Be Here is a Paul Simon song. And in Wish You Could Be Here, you'll see that, and you must watch that video. It's one of my favorite videos. In that, we took out the message that the message there is when you're really missing someone, a great deal. That person is mostly missing you too. And Amu's door is always open. When somebody has unconditional love for you, their door is always open. So we took out messages like this. So the songs and the videos express that idea in the way the video is created. So there are many stories in each one. I love that. That's a story within a story. And those taglines, what an incredible idea. Did you share? Now, you knew the taglines, but did you share them like like in the notes or anything? Can people see those? So in the package for the re the recording package, which we will have in a few days, and I would love to send you one, Kimberly, is we've created a booklet where we put the picture and the key taglines. And there's also a, a digital version of that. But you can open each page, and for every song, there's a tagline, a kookaburra, right? Like a woodpecker song. We all know the woodpecker song. And if you listen to a woodpecker, the woodpecker is the most unmusical bird in a way. It just basically taps on the wood, you know? So that, but that's the message, right? Which is that different sounds in nature and harmony is everywhere. There are different ways for us to understand harmony. So I think these are the messages that I was trying to go for. So those are in the booklets. That's in a digital format. But I want people to think of the higher point of what the song is about. Miller of the D that I just sang for you. The guy says, I don't care. You know, it's, it's okay. I want to give whatever I have. I want to share with my community. I love it. You know, I had mentioned um, that you also have a background as a businesswoman, a philanthropist, and such a gifted musician. Before we go, is there any advice that you would love to give the listeners as someone who's pursuing their passions and wants to make a positive impact on the world like you are doing? You know, really change begins within all of us. The journey for each and every one has to start within us. And I think we have to work really to understand ourselves and to find the most joyous part of ourselves. And then once we find that, you almost can do nothing else but share it. The journey for everybody is to really make sure that we are in our own best place. Because once you find the key to yourself, the journey gets much more joyous. Your purpose gets more pure. Shandrika, that is beautiful. I think this is one of those universal albums that can be enjoyed by everybody. 
Thank you so much, Shandrika, for being on the show today. Thank you, Kimberly. What an honor to be here and what an honor to be able to share my story, my journey and my aspirations with you and your listeners. That's all the time we have for today. To buy Shandrika's album, Amu's Treasures, go to her website, www.shandrikatannon.com. And to connect with Shandrika on IG, go to at Shandrika Tandon. These details are also in the Gal on the Go Unplugged show note. And to my listeners, remember, be curious, be kind, and be bold. Well put. 